we've been talking about well done, you know, not about breakfast, you know, like, oh, I like my eggs well done or, you know, something like that. But the, the statement in the Bible where Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew, the 25th chapter and the 22nd verse, and we're going to look at this subject of how we can be assured that God will say, well done. Because if we don't know what it takes for him to say, well done, we may strive really hard, and we may strive harder than other people, work harder, work longer, do more, and, but have we hit the target where he'll say, well done? And we want to know that so that when we get there, we don't go, oh, I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do to be well done. And then he's just going to say, medium rare. So, are you ready? Matthew 20, 25, Jesus uh, mentioned this in various places in the Bible, and he talked about people who had received talents or abilities or, you know, financial endowments that they were supposed to do something with. And he commended certain ones for their job and others he did not commend. And here in the 22nd verse, we find one of these stories, and he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me, you delivered to me. That means God gave him something, and he was responsible for what God gave him. And then he went on and said, you gave me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents. So whatever it was that he got, he could measure the increase he got. We should be able to measure whether we're going to hit the target of well done or not. So we just need to know what he's given us so that we can know when we see the increase or the return. And so he knew, look, you gave me this, I've doubled it. And he said, after his Lord, verse 23, said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, a faithful servant is one who endures. You know, the Bible said a good soldier endures hardness. And we know that in following God's plan, man, it can be so good, but there's other times where you're pushing. And we should recognize, hey, if I'm pushing, maybe there's opposition that's trying to hold me back. Uh, it's not from God. I don't think we should measure it that way. What we should do is realize maybe the enemy is trying to get me not to go to the future and make have a positive effect. I mean, it can be so subtle. You go to witness to somebody and a thought comes, don't do that. What will they think? And if we bow down at times, what happens? We don't enter into that. And um, so we need to know like this, when he said, well done, good and faithful servant, sometimes, you know, we just need to keep plugging. But he said this, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many, enter into the depression of the Lord. And so doing the word will of God is going to cause us to be depressed. Amen. Exactly, right? It, no, he said, enter into the joy of the Lord. But what's interesting here, he, he told them, you know, that there is a time that people will stand before him and, and he will say, well done. I'm convinced of this because he's a good God 
and he's a good father, there isn't anybody who is going to stand before him that he wants to say, well, you did okay. He, he wants to be able to say well done to every single one of them. You know, God is not predisposed to have bad opinions about people. And he wants good. So the reason he tells us these things that we're about to look at is so we can hit the target so he can say, well done. And that we can have certain rewards for heaven. We don't get to heaven by this, but we get rewards. And so here in Matthew 28 is really the base target for every person. This is so important to know that this really is the target and the fundamental thing. Over the years being a Christian, wherever I've been, I hear people say, I just want to know what God wants me to do with my life. Or they dream about a real big thing that God wants them to do. And in all reality, the big things don't happen until this fundamental thing happens. And through this principle that we're going to look at, all your progress in God comes right here, if you're a believer. It works through this principle right here. In Matthew 28, Jesus said this in the 18th through the 20th verse. He said, Jesus had risen from the dead, and he came, and it said he spoke to them. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Go make them. Go make them. Go make disciples. Disciples are not an automatic thing. They have to be made. Disciples don't just happen because they come to church. Disciples don't just happen. But we realize going to church is a place that we could learn to be a disciple. And so he said, make disciples of all people or all nations. It literally means every type of person. God does not neglect any race, any group of people on the earth. He loves them all equally, and he said, go to all the nations or literally people groups or ethnicities, and he said, make them disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then here is really what a disciple looks like, because I don't know about you, I mean, English wasn't my best subject. Skipping school was my best subject. But you don't get credit for that. You actually take away. And so, but I can plainly look at that word disciple, and I mean, I've studied a little bit, but in the middle of that word disciple is the word discipline, really. It's where it comes from. A disciple is a disciplined one. Now, I understand if you have religious background, that can be all kinds of things. That can be like, oh, great. You know, you're talking about discipline. You know, all these rules, all this stuff. You're going to dump a load on me, you know, and, and that's just not what I want. But that's not what God said. But that's maybe what people have said. He said, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you most of the time, when you feel me. Man, when we were singing, he was here. You know, he was here when we didn't. He said, lo, I am with you always. He's always with you. You know, David in the Psalms said, when I was in a pit, the Lord was with me. 
He's always with us. He said, even to the end of the age. And so what we see here is the making of a disciple is this, getting somebody converted to the Lord, which is part of becoming a disciple, and then learning to observe. And I want to look at that in a, in a, in a light that will help people because here's, here's the basis. When somebody gives their life to the Lord, they may look the same on the outside, but they become different inside. The life of God comes in them. They're not, they're not the way they were the day before, the hour before they gave their life to the Lord. There was an inward change that happened, maybe not an outward visible one. And it is a real thing, and that's really what salvation is, is God's life going into a person and recreating them on the inside, making them a completely different person. But you notice I keep saying inwardly. And really being a disciple is this, getting what's in you out. Getting what's in you out. Now, you can't get out of a lost person certain things because they're not in there. Because when we're recreated, different things happen in us. They get in us whether we get them out or not. So a disciplined one is really cooperating with God, learning how to get certain things out. And it's probably in many aspects... Um, not understood correctly. What is it that I'm supposed to get out of me then? What in the world is in me? Really, Christianity is a revealing through your whole life of God and what he's given you and who you are and the plans that we're supposed to keep. So being a disciple, we reach people. We lead them to the Lord and then we help them in this avenue. And this is being a disciple, teaching them. So look at this in Ephesians 4. And we're going to talk about how to get this out of us. You know, we can talk about how to get Christ in you. But there's a difference between getting Christ in you and getting that new life dominating you. Where you actually benefit from it. There are some things that people don't even know are benefits to the kingdom and they live a certain way their whole life or, you know, and they think when I get to heaven, I'm going to win. It's going to be awesome. And there is a truth. It's going to be better, no doubt about it. Um, But the idea is this. Paul said it like this. He said, we have a promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. We should be experiencing heaven on earth when we're here for a believer. And so here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and hopefully you've got there. If not, you can wait for the next verse. But Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And we're going to begin reading here in the 22nd verse. He's writing to a person who has given their life to the Lord. And when they've given their life to the Lord, this writer here is saying there is a change that has happened in everybody that this happened to. What, what Christianity is not, it's not an altering of your lifestyle. In other words, you need to alter your lifestyle. And then you're a Christian. No, there's something that changes in you, and because of that change in you, 
as you learn to work it out, your lifestyle will change. And that's a vast difference. Because here's the thing. When I live out this life, there's actually a nature behind it. That when I got saved, I got a new nature. What we're saying is we want to get that out. And so these things are written like this in the Bible. Are you ready? Ephesians 4, 22. He's writing to the Christians and he said that you would put off concerning your former conduct or manner of life and style of life, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he goes on to say some things. And then verse 24 says that you put on the new man. So most of us are dressed here this morning. Just not sure, you know. And what you did was you had something that you put on. Nobody put on what they didn't have. Are you with me? Even if it was someone else's you borrowed and put it on, you had to have it to put it on. So he said you have to put on this new man. So then you have to have a new man to be able to put it on. But notice what he said. Put off the old man. You know, there, everybody this morning when you woke up, you put off the covers. You put off something that was on you. Those covers were not you. You might have liked them, but they were not you. And you put them off. And God here is telling us we are to put off the old type of life. And so when we hear this sometimes, we think the old kind of life might be just, um, you know, sinning. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And really it's a ton more. The old life is a life of shame. God wants Christians to put shame off of themselves. God doesn't enjoy when his children walk around with shame. He doesn't like when they walk around with guilt. Not that he's angry at his children. How many parents would like their kids to have bad things happening to them? No, no parent, no reasonable parent would do that. And so God is more than reasonable. And he doesn't want shame. He doesn't want guilt. He doesn't want people to have a sense of inferiority. You know, people walk around, they get saved, they recognize, man, something has really happened in my life, but then they're still carrying around an inferiority complex. You know, they're always looking for the approval of other people. Do they like how I am? Do I like this? And in all reality, that inward man has been approved by God. You don't need man's approval. The Bible said if your ways are pleasing unto the Lord, he'll even make your enemies to be at rest with you. In other words, he'll work on your behalf. And what we need to realize is there is a new man, and it looks a lot better than the outward. And we're, we're told to put off certain things. In other words, part of the old life that we would put off is shame. But if I don't know that God has washed me in his blood and that he is holding nothing against me, even if I sinned yesterday, because I'm his child, he doesn't want shame to be on me like a garment. He doesn't want worry to be on me. The Bible said, 
casting all your cares upon the Lord, your worries, your anxieties, because he cares for you. And one translation says he looks out for you affectionately. So he wants you to carry it. He doesn't want, he didn't want you to carry it. He wants to carry it. But notice that phrase, put off. Sometimes when people hear, oh, put off, they think, let's, we've got to do the Ten Commandments. But we start to recognize that God didn't want us to carry certain things. He doesn't want us to carry guilt. He doesn't want us to have to feel like we're approving, you know, our approval comes from man. And that can be challenging. And some people live in that all the time. And God said, put that off of you. In other words, you don't have to live for the approval of man. If you live walking with God, you'll have the approval. Let your assurance be from who you are with him. And then take when those condemning thoughts come and go, no, that's not part of who I am. That's not the new way of life. I know for me, when I first got saved, you know, I grew up in a family of Olympic warriors. You know, we could have been in the Olympics. I could have had a gold medal. I mean, when I was a little kid, I learned how to worry. My grandma worried, and they just passed it on. We'd train together. Some families are running families. We were a worrying family. I mean, really. And I would just sit there. I could remember not doing my homework, laying in bed, worrying and worrying and worrying, thinking, I should just do the homework, and I'm worrying. Then, and doing nothing, and staying up. And I'm, I'm talking elementary, junior high, and just weighted down with worry. And I'm worrying about what, I mean, I could have solved the problem, but I mean, worry just weighed on me. And I'm like, ugh, carrying this around. Well, God doesn't want us to carry things. And I learned, and here's the thing, when I got saved, it didn't go away. But I knew there was a dramatic change. I mean, I'd be preaching to everybody. But I'm still under shame and worry. But at the same time, I have a new confidence, and it's almost like there's a conflict. And I didn't know about these verses that I'm wearing a garment like Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? You know, they said, oh, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would not have died. He's been dead. It's four days in there. He yet stinketh, or he's beginning to rot. He's, we, we, we can just let him go on. And the Lord said, roll away the stone. And then he gave him life. And how many of us realize we get saved, we get life. So Lazarus comes out. Jesus supernaturally raises him from the dead. You would have thought all his problems would be solved right there. Right? You'd think all his problems are solved, but he's now walking like this. And Jesus said to the disciples, now it's your turn to get involved. And he said, loose him and let him go. And how many people have come out of the grave, so to speak, spiritually, and they recognize I've got life in me, but something is binding me and, and, and I need help. And the loosing and letting go is the putting off of things. And it's being trained new to think new according to who we truly are. I mean, if you read in this verse in the fourth chapter, I wasn't planning on reading this. Um, he does talk about later on, 
about putting off lying that that's not us. Now, inwardly, we don't want to lie. Even though we may still lie after we give our lives to the Lord, he'll help us to grow and start putting it off. I don't believe he condemns us. I think he helps us grow. You know, the Bible plainly says this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. But as I grew, I, I put away childish things. God didn't take childish things from, from me. You don't take things for your kid. You help them to grow, and they learn to put it away. Now, I know there are some things we take away from them. But what's interesting in this context, um, notice verse 24. And that you put on the new man. So this is like Lazarus got new life, but he still got the grave clothes that need to come off. You could say it was his old life. It was, you know, because people who are lost are spiritually dead. So they were like the clothes of a dead person spiritually. And, and so they said, loose him and let him go. In other words, get those grave clothes off. You don't need to be wearing that anymore now that you have new life. And this is the interesting part. This new man here in verse 24 was created. Created. If you've given your life to the Lord, inside you were created. How were you created? It's a good question. Because I believe anybody who gives their life to the Lord recognizes something at some point that something is different about me. I can't put my finger on it. That was like me when I gave my life to the Lord. I knew I couldn't put my finger on it, but some things had dramatically changed. And then you read a verse like this, and you can almost just go over this verse and not even realize it's there not realize the potency of what he's trying to say and the real value of a human being who has come to know the Lord. He said, you have been created. This is inward creation. That's why one of the writers in the Bible said, you're a new creation. Well, you know, people like to craft or do different things. They make a creation. Our kids do that. They bring something home from school. And you're like, that's an awesome, you know, dinosaur. You're like, they're like, no, Mom, that's a human. You know, it's, and so I think sometimes, you know, we think, well, maybe I'm this on the inside or I'm not quite this. And we judge wrong. So we need to hear from the source. We need, we need to hear from God. We need to hear from the integrity of his word. This right here does not lie. And when he said, the way I made you, I made you in true righteousness. Now that doesn't register on a lot of Christians. Because if you asked a Christian, are you righteous? They would say something like this. I'm trying. I'm working on it. And you know, that's absolutely wrong. And I'm glad to just confront you on that. Because somebody needs to tell you, you don't work on it. Somebody said, you mean I could just live wrong? No. Righteousness is actually given as a gift. It's part of how you are. You are put into good standing with God, where he's not holding anything against you. There's no more hostility.
when he said he justified you, therefore you have peace, it's like there's no battle anymore between you and God. There's nothing between you and him. You've been justified or declared, not only declared just like you've not sinned in the past, and that's cool for a person like me who was a champion at sinning. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. So he was basically saying, I beat everybody at sin. And we can read, and the Bible tells us he used to kill people in the church. Now he's a preacher. And he didn't carry the weight, the burden of guilt and shame with him over into his new life. But I bet you at first he had challenges, just like anybody where a thought assails your mind. Back up, back down, you're not good enough. And, and he was inspired to write this, put off these things. I wonder if he got revelation and had personal experience. That you can put this off of your life. You don't have to live for the approval of man. The Bible said we've been approved by God. You, you've been approved inwardly. How could you not be approved if you're in right standing and everything that ever separated from you from God was removed completely from your life? The only way that you could live in guilt and shame after that is some kind of lie is trying to park itself in your life to keep you from accepting reality. Period. It is a real thing if you gave your life to the Lord. He didn't just give you righteousness. He didn't give it to you. Like, I can give you this. He didn't give it to you. He created you right. That can't be separated from you. Are you with me? Somebody said, well, what if I sin? You're still in right standing. You can just say, oh, Lord, forgive me for doing that, but it doesn't make you unright with him. You're still right. But people don't have the concept of this. I would encourage you to read the New Testament again in these thoughts, and you'll notice how we receive abundance of grace in the gift of good standing or righteousness with God. He was made sin for you. That's all the shame. That's all the guilt. That's all the condemnation. And he was made sin for you that you might have his own right standing. So if you don't know what this right standing looks like, somebody might look at Jesus and say, wow, he could stand before God. But think about it. He put that right standing in you. What would your prayer life look like if there was no guilt in your life, no condemnation in your life, and you could just boldly come before God and say, you know what, I'm needing this right now. But you know what, unrighteousness or a sense of guilt or condemnation, if we don't put it off, we cower in the presence of God like a child with a mean father. And that's not God. But if we don't get those grave clothes off, even though he's not thinking that way, you know, how many people, and this is probably a crude illustration, have gotten a dog that had been out on the streets, you cleaned it up, you brought it home, and you wanted to pet it, and every time you go to pet it, the thing ducks and cowers and is afraid and you, you only, your intentions are only good for that dog, but that dog has been programmed wrong. 
And it can take time to reprogram that dog. That's why the Bible said that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. But we've been created in true right standing with God. Man, there's nobody who's got better right standing than you. No one, if you've given your life to the Lord. There's not one person. And let me say this. Your right standing with God does not get better when you get to heaven. If you don't have it now, you won't have it then. But if you've received Christ now, you have it now whether you know it or not. The problem is, what a sad thing if a person lived their life thinking... I don't have good standing with God or we don't tell people that they could receive Christ and have good standing with God and they get there and they think, well, I tried to work and try to do these things and they approached it wrong and they missed it. Or if we didn't realize it and then we got there and when we got there, we realized now, oh, I was in good standing a long time ago and I didn't even know it. And then we just got robbed throughout our life And God didn't want that. He didn't want it. But if we don't hear the truth, then we can't be made free. But when we hear the truth, we know freedom is connected with truth. You know, when the angel released all the early disciples when they got thrown in prison because the devil doesn't like us sharing our faith with one another and bringing people to the Lord... They said, you know, they threatened him, you know, don't preach anymore in this name. And an angel appeared to him and said, now you go in the town square and I want you to tell them all the words. Why do we need to hear words? Why do we need to be in church? I can do this anywhere. God has called out people, trained, equipped people to be in position so you might hear words. And he said, tell them all the words of this life. What life? Not this life out here, but this new kingdom life. And so he said, go tell them all the words of this life. You think about that, God in his compassion is wanting people to enter in. So he's desperate for us to tell others. And then he's desperate for people to hear these truths. Why? So then once we've come in and we get life, then we can get the grave clothes off and go, man, I am actually in right standing with God. You know, somebody might say, well, you know, if you preach like that, somebody might sin. Let me just say something. People are going to sin whether you say it or not. Somebody's, you're just going to give them permission. No, people don't need permission. I found that out a long time ago. People aren't asking for permission to sin. If they want to, they're going to. But I found this out. A lot of people don't. And when people give their lives to the Lord, they really don't want to live wrong. And sometimes they're frustrated why they are. And they're living in guilt and thinking, I'm not even in good standing with God, even though I know I'm saved. And they don't associate, I'm actually in good standing. What if you found out God looked favorably upon you once you gave your life to him? Would that change your approach? Like I can actually go talk to him and he's not going to beat me down. You know, the Bible said in James 1, he said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally to all and upbraids not. Well, that's a good word. You know, my English, you know, I flunked third grade, so that's a big word for me. You know, upbraids not. 
In other words, what, what he doesn't do is he doesn't come back and go, he doesn't say, I already told you this once. Do I have to tell you again? He doesn't upbraid us. He'll repeat truth to us and to help us to get it. And he'll repeat these truths. Listen, and sometimes they don't sink into our heads. I've created you in true righteousness. And then he said this, and holiness. But the way the English language works, it literally means true righteousness. That means there's an untrue righteousness. And if we live toward with untrue righteousness, we will be on a roller coaster. When we're doing good, woohoo, Lord. And when we're not doing exactly what we think, oh no, Lord. But when we recognize what true righteousness is, we're not basing it off our own performance. It starts helping us up. And then here he said, and we've been created in true holiness. Think of this. If you were created in true or a, a real, so there's untrue. There's untrue holiness. There are people out there that have a model life, but that life didn't come from the life in them that was given by God. They just learned a moral code. And when he talks about true righteousness, then that means there must be a fake one. Which means, what is that? It's the one where people work to get it instead of receiving the Lord, and then they get it. And then they're created that way. But notice he said, and created in true holiness. So think about this. If we're to put off something, think of this. When I put off my blankets this morning, it was me doing it. When you're putting off things, you're doing it based on who you are. Why can't I put off guilt? I've been created in true right standing. I've been created truly holy. So when these lies come, I can start putting them off. There are tons of scriptures that would help in this, but we're going to go on real quick and look at a couple verses quick and then close. 1 Samuel 30. People in this life have faced these things, uh, whether they were saved or not, but they were people who were in covenant with God. You know, David, you know, we, we all know him. He's the pastor at Christ of the Nation's Church. No, David was a king and, and is the pastor, but he was a king. And uh, he, he, you know, we know that the Bible said, you know, most people know this verse about David. He was a man after God's own heart. That's what God said about him. Wow, what a title. You know, I believe God knows that about all of us, whether we're doing it or not once we've given our life to the Lord. I believe there's something way down in, inside every believer that he could say that. They have a heart after me. He just wants us to pursue it. And so notice this, uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse uh, 6, but I'll, I'm going to read the con or explain the context first. David is a king, you know, and, and they, they've gone out and they're going out to conquer this enemy. And then they're going to get all these spoils and riches. And David has been proving that, man, he, he can get the battle won. He can do all this. And, and it, this is one of those times he takes all his men out. They take over this land. They get all these spoils. They're like his cheerleaders. 
man, you're awesome. You're this. You know, yes, we'll follow you. We'll do whatever. But then when they came back after beating the enemy up, they come back home and they realize while they were out to battle, another army came and stole their wives and stole all their stuff. And so we'll pick up the story right there. We're talking about putting on the new man. Now David in verse 6, it says in, in the 30th chapter, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Man, their day, his day started off good. I'm on top of the world. All his friends are now picking up rocks and polishing them. They're going to they're gonna kill him. They spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. So you get this picture. They're so distraught. They're coming at David and here David is the leader and he's trying to move forward. And now he's like, ugh. He was greatly distressed. In other words, there was an opposition. There was a load he was carrying. But the Bible said David strengthened. Other translations say David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know, one way to put off shame is to encourage yourself. You know, a lot of people have not been taught the Bible, but they are very counterproductive in their own lives. You ever heard people do this? Oh, I did wrong. How stupid am I? I can't believe I did that again. I am so dumb. You think about it. When David have, had opposition that said, you're so dumb, you're so stupid, we can't believe we're following you, what have you led us into? David lost all his encouragers. So David didn't leave himself there. And how many people would have said the same thing? I know I'm so dumb. I can't believe I did it again. It's like the third time this week. And we should, we should watch it and realize, think like this. In that type of stuff, I might be letting something on me, a grave cloth that doesn't belong on me. So David did something different. and said he encouraged himself when nobody else was. You know, it's great to be encouraged. But what happens when nobody's around to encourage you? We're going to have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And it's great to have people around to do that. But David had no one at this time, so he encouraged himself in the Lord. And it talks about how he was strengthened. He inquired of God. And what's so interesting, when he inquired of God, God said, here's what you need to do, and you can get all of it back plus what you got over here. But realize this, if we just start thinking, oh, nothing's going to work out, nothing's whatever, we're not going to look to God to get the instruction to help us to move forward. Because God's plan for every believer is to live as more than a conqueror. Everybody awake still? Okay, thank you for that one person. Appreciate that. So just hit your neighbor and say, wake up, he's just about done. So um, Psalm 42, I'm going to read two verses, and, and these will help you. But, but these are things you have to do. And really what they are is they're not self-help, like some self-help motivation that's out there, and get a book and motivate yourself. 
These are actually literal facts and realities in you that are there, whether you know it or not, if you've given your life to the Lord. This is beyond just altering your mind. Now, I know they're wanting you to alter your mind, and and I'm good with thinking positive. It sure beats negative. It does. But there is a higher way because all of God's words are containers of spirit and life. The Bible is plain about that. So if I take those words of spirit and life and put them into my mind, I'm starting to squeeze the spirit and life of God out of those things. That would sure be medicating. There's stuff in his words. And so here in Psalm 42, and you're probably already there, but we're going to read this in the 11th, the 11th verse, and it says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? In other words, mind, you're having a few problems today. What's going on? And he said, Why are you disquieted within me? And isn't this interesting? He told his mind. He, he, he said, Hope in God. Hope in God. In other words, expect from God. This was written for us. For I shall yet praise him, for he is the help of my countenance or my whole life. He said he will help you. And so it's interesting how as we start reading through, one way that we're going to put off things is know who we are, but then begin to say with our mouth. Now Philippians, the second chapter, we won't clo- we're going to close there. But this real interesting verse talking about putting the new man on. He said, God works in every believer both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you're saved, God is working and endeavoring from the inside out. And I will say this, if you don't know the Lord, then it's easy to get the life of God in you, to get God in you and get you going.